This is Asia's Farm to Fork Five Good Questions podcast, bringing you insights and views from across Asia's food value chain. Now for today's interview. Hello, everybody. I'm Duke Kip, host of Asia's Farm to Fork Five Good Questions podcast. And we're joined today by Ms. Jolene Lum in Singapore, uh, who's the group CEO at Urban Tiller. Hi, Jolene. How are you? Hi, nice to meet you, Duke. It's, uh, <laughs> yeah, no, thanks for thanks for having me. Yeah, it's good to, good to have you back. Well, if it's okay, we'll jump into the first question. So, um, first, I want to say thanks for joining us, and, and particularly joining us on a, on a special day. Today is United Nations International Youth Day, mm-hmm. uh, and the theme for this year is really, I think, it's appropriate, and that's reason we really wanted to speak with you today. The theme this year is transforming food systems, youth innovation for human and planetary health. And it's a timely theme, as, as, as noted, and particularly uh, th- timely considering what's happening around this Food System Summit that's going on this year that the UN is leading. Uh, the, mm-hmm. the, uh, the pre-summit having just concluded in Rome recently and the summit itself on tap for uh, September, I think, in, in New York. And, um, and so with that theme in mind, I, I want to ask you a bit about why you started Urban Tiller and, and thinking about sort of really... Um, how you've had this front row seat as you started this enterprise uh, with respect to transforming food systems and what it's really all about. Mm. Yeah, no, I think Urban Tiller, having started, uh, you know, amid the pandemic, we started in August, September 2020. Um, I had come out of my previous ventures, having spoken to people in the food and agri industry to learn about the opportunities and challenges. Um, So based out of Singapore, you know, the initial conversations were always around food security, around local food security and the opportunity there. Um, I think the first things that occur to people about Singapore, a country that imports more than 90% of our food, um, is, well, okay, so how do we actually create the food um, supply here in Singapore, but also for people to actually start engaging and having demand for it? Um, And one of the first earliest arguments you might hear is, oh, it's so expensive, right? If you gave me two kinds of bok choy in the supermarket, one from Singapore and one from Malaysia or Thailand or anywhere else that we bring our fresh food in from, it's what justifies that difference in price, right? Of course, it boils down to the nuts and bolts of a business, um, be it running a farm here, electricity costs, manpower costs, um, and just agricultural inputs in general. Um, That already makes things a lot more expensive. So I think that idea of what got me started was, you know, realizing that urban farms are going to come up and we're going to see more, uh, you know, urban vertical farms coming up to sort of deal with that demand increase of how much food we need to produce in general. But it is a new kind of economy and it requires a new business model to think about value um, and how we can actually make sure that it's both sustainable for the consumer as well as for the farmers, especially for the farmers. That's how I got started. It was talking to these farmers who are farming in the center of the city and asking them what made their lives so difficult when it came to sustaining a farm um, and how they were reaching consumers, how they were going to market. So with that knowledge, um, I realized that, well, you know, a lot of farms here are focused on fresh produce and fresh produce, you know, is coming up as a niche within the the e-grocery segment. It's coming up as a niche market within e-commerce as well. Uh, It's not like your usual perishable, non-perishable goods, right, that you can store in a place for a long time. But there is something about the distribution of that, that produce that takes up a little bit more time and a little bit more thinking. So, you know, up till this point, Urban Tiller is something, we're an ag tech farm to table startup that delivers fresh produce within eight hours of harvest. Um, You know, my business partner and I realized that there was no one putting 
a number to what freshness meant. Everyone was abusing the word fresh, uh, but there was no real idea of what, what that was like. So with an eight hour from harvest um, delivery model, what we're doing is actually reducing that supply chain to reduce food waste that could be 40 to 70% along an international supply chain. Uh, the two-touch supply chain also makes sure that there's no wastage um, based on the offtake relationships that we have with our farmers, um, high quality control packing procedures off to the customer it goes, um, and then sort of engaging the customer on that front for them to taste the difference in something that's that fresh um, and providing them with all that follow-up engagement and communication about how they're connected to their food uh, when they eat with us. Well, it's a great answer, uh, and I think it's uh, very exciting to hear. Certainly, there's a lot of passion that goes into this, too, and you've embodied, um, I think, the, the spirit of, of what Urban Teller is all about, certainly. So the second question, kind of maybe go a little bit deeper into that. Um, I know, based here in Singapore, it's such a unique place, and as you noted, the import of all the uh, 90% of the food that, that comes in here that's, that's consumed. There's also a very ambitious goal that, that the Singapore government has put in place going forward, uh, the 30 by 30 uh, initiative. Essentially, as you know, it's um, a target to ensure that all the nutritional needs of the residents here in Singapore are met by the year 2030. And so with that in mind, I think certainly Urban Tiller is part of that um, wave that's helping support that. Can you talk a little bit about uh, how you see Urban, Urban Tiller filling that need going forward and maybe other platforms as well and how it all sort of comes together? Yeah, of course. So the 30 by 30 goal, as you pointed out, Duke, is, is something that is ambitious, um, but I think is also not adequately talked about aside from the numerical sense of things, right? Um, the Singapore Food Agency actually defines 30 by 30 to be focused on three food baskets, uh, that being leafy grains, eggs, and fish. But living in Singapore, you and I know that that's not everything that appears on a plate. Right, so it's not just 30% by 2030, uh, but we're of course not touching the 70% that's still not going to be grown here, which will include all your staples, carbohydrates, um, and other kinds of fruiting crops as well. But at least within the leafy greens category, eggs and fish, you know, leafy greens is interesting because there is a proliferation of farms coming up in the past few years and in the next few years as well. Um, and everyone's sort of jumping on the bandwagon of growing leafy greens. Um, and leafy greens come in, in different forms, right? The most common ones being your Asian bok choy, your Asian greens, your salad greens like lettuce and kale and things like that. Um, and everyone's sort of growing the same stuff. That's, that's, a, that's a huge challenge, right? Because uh, basic economics would tell us that demand and supply would keep things going. Um, and with the work that I do, one of the things that we realize is that a lot of these farmers, when they start up, uh, a small to medium-sized farm may be starting up with one or two different crop types, right? One or two different crop types, and you're really good at growing lettuce or you're really good at growing bok choy. Um, and then you realize, okay, I need to sell to someone. I could sell to a supermarket, which is the most straightforward answer in a place like Singapore. Uh, but we know that, well, supermarkets, uh, they don't have the most conducive supply chain. They don't have the best procurement management platforms, not to their fault, right? They have their own business to run. But I think how it makes it really difficult for smallholder farmers is, of course, the consignment process of selling, uh, which leads to some wastage, uh, difficulties in managing cost. But also the, the fact that a lot of these smaller farms are producing things more sustainably, but not in a consistent or big enough volume for supermarkets to satisfy that thirst, right? 
Um, and a lot of these people, they're left with, okay, I can't sell to a supermarket. What do I do now? Um, do I go directly to the consumer? Do I go directly to a restaurant? The problem with consumers and restaurants is they're never going to come to you just for lettuce. They're never going to come to you just for kale, right? Um, consumer choice is what sort of runs the market. And you almost need a way to you know, satisfy everything that the consumer is looking for, at least within the category of fresh. Um, that's what Urban Tillet aims to do. We aim to build the largest assortment um, of different kinds of fresh food on our platform such that there is actually enough market share and traction for people to say that I'm going to come to Urban Tiller, I'm going to buy all my fresh food from them, right? And I know all of it is local, all of it is grown, you know, in, in a sustainable way, um, at least. And that has been the biggest challenge and will continue to be the biggest challenge because your bigger farms who are able to supply to supermarkets are doing that, right? You have mid-sized and smallholder farmers who have then a slew of other problems of their own uh, when it comes to running the farm and running a business. And, you know, you need to support them all the way. I want that produce to be good for my consumers. They're paying good money for it. Um, and I want to make sure that I'm paying them a good price for it such that they continue to do the work that they do um, and are able to run a business sustainably as well. So a lot of different factors um, in fitting in with 30 by 30. I think what I'm doing is really providing a go to market strategy for farms that are coming up, um, hoping to contribute to this goal, um, but needing to stay alive as a business. Right. So a lot of the farms that I work with, some of them sell exclusively to me um, because they're able to get a price that is locked in that helps to cover their cost and you know keeps them alive. Um, some of the farmers sell to me, but also sell to other people. That's completely okay. Um, but I think working exclusively with the farms on a basis where we can go like, hey, the difference about working with us is that I'm going to be honest with you. If your lettuce is not selling, I'm going to let you know, right? I don't want to waste food either, um, but I am the one with the consumer dollar and the consumer sort of data and information on what people are buying, what they want, how much they'll pay, how much are they buying every day, um, and how should you sort of like... Um, step out your growing cycles, how you should be getting ready for that as well. Um, so I think that's how the end-to-end -end concept really makes sense to me and my team. Uh, we think that within, with a fresh produce business, it, it's not solved by having 10,000 suppliers across the world. And when you need something, you call someone else up um, when you don't have it from another farm. But to get a full picture of how it's like end to end, uh, to preserve the quality, to preserve the, the value that the supply chain is producing and being able to support farms along the way who are coming up to say that, hey, you know, there's actually an oversupply of kale. Would you consider growing something else? Um, if you need to grow something else and you don't know how to, let me try helping you with that as well. Um, and then say that, look, I'm going to buy 100% of it. You need to get started on something. I can help with that too. Um, and there's some full trust in that offtake relationship to then create an eco ecosystem of farms that are growing different things that supplement this you know, demand pool, uh, but having farms that are actually truly sustainable and growing things that would keep them alive. Thanks for that. Gosh, it's an exciting journey that you're on, certainly. And it's such a perfect fit for Singapore. I'd like to maybe with the next question, take a maybe step back and look at the region as a whole um, and thinking about the discussion around youth and, and innovation and within the context of ag and food, certainly I think it brings up sort of a connotation of technology. And mm -hmm. that's at least that's what I think of. And I wonder if you look around the region, as I noted, you see an aging population really within the, uh, the farmer community. So specifically, I've got some numbers here. I believe that in India, India the farmer, average farmer age is, is uh, over 50. And in the Philippines, it's in the later 50s. And in Japan, I, I saw it was a, it's 67, which is uh, you know, startling. So with that in mind, I, I want to get your opinion on 
Is this something that is um, is a challenge as far as harnessing the power of technology in food production and delivery? Is it uh, a significant barrier or is it is it no? It's just a question of uh, introduction and education about the value of, of new technologies and new new ways of doing things. No, I think it's significant in so many different ways, right? Like uh, the aging population is one in terms of how easy it is to get buy-in uh, for technology to be deployed. And the, the other one is really looking to having a workforce and a value chain that is also dedicated not just to independent tech companies trying to sell farmers tech to upgrade, right? I think what, what we do differently at Urban Tiller is realizing that, no, you can't be an independent tech company coming in to say that, look, I have this cool IoT system. I'm going to sell it to you. This is how it works. I expect you to, to use it. That's not the way um, that we believe we should be dealing with the farmers because they need security, right? Uh, most farmers wouldn't pay you for tech that, okay, I need to figure out how to use, how to do that, and then not know or have security that the crops that they're producing will be fully bought off. How does it increase their top line, basically, right? Um, and I think Urban Tiller's been cracking our head around how to incentivize that kind of behavior. So that's part one, right? How do you actually get people to drive adoption in tech? Um, so with Urban Tiller, the philosophy is that, look, we start by working with your farm, getting to know you. We'll buy all of it, right? We'll start buying your produce, getting to understand what troubles you're facing, and then sort of come in and say that, look, we understand your operations. These are certain difficulties you might have. Here's some scale-appropriate technology. Here's some customization and adoption sort of adjustments we can make such that it's actually suitable and good enough for your farm uh, based on your workforce, based on your demographic, and how we can actually start to work with you to adopt that technology. And given that, let's measure the results together. In either case, I will be the one procuring all of that produce for my own business. You don't have to be concerned that, you know, you've put, you made an investment um, or, or, you know, we could help you with that at the start but to make sure that your farm stays alive as a farm and you're continuing to do that good work. That's the first part, right, is the adoption and being able to almost consultatively get into a space of saying that this is scale appropriate, this is easily adopted, this is what is actually suitable for that setup um, before we think about radically changing a farm or radically sort of like spending money on infrastructural changes that could uh, be a lot more painful. The other one is, I think, as a, as a young person and as a young person who did not come with a background in agriculture, uh, it's fascinating to me that, you know, the truth is very few young people think about coming into agriculture. Uh, you know, even, even sometimes your parents and your grandparents would be like, I did this so you didn't have to, um, right? The common conception is that there is very little progression, there's very little um, prospect of making a lot of money. Um, and I think that's something the team at Urban Tiller sees, right? And we always talk about how do we make farming sexy again, right? Across the region. Um, not just because young people move towards cities, food is going to be grown in the cities. How do you make that amenable? How do you give people a pathway to saying that it's actually possible to build a career um, that is exciting, that is forward-looking, that is progressive? Um, and you start looking at the barriers to entry, right, for you to build a good career in agriculture, be it sort of like a young person like me who decides that they want to, to come into agriculture and contribute to um, a more sustainable way of growing food, uh, a more uh, innovative way of growing food. Barriers to entry are often the same. It's that the high cost of infrastructural development, of starting up a farm, of developing growing expertise, um, and being able to get into production cycles that are good and sustainable. So I like to call this idea of ours the we work of farming, right? When we work first came up, what you did for startups was to say that you don't know if your business is going to work. I'm going to lease you a space for you to get your team together and put a business plan together. You pay me a subscription and then figure out how to be on your own feet. Um, doing that for farming means 
can I provide you farming infrastructure and farming expertise as a service, right? Start learning how to farm, right? We will de-risk that process for you, farm on our space. Um, we'll teach you how to do it. You figure out along the way. You can sell it to whoever you want. If you don't find anyone to buy it from you, sell it to Aventilla. I'll de-risk that for you as well, right? And then you can see that that's actually something that could go directly to customers and figure out how that works as well. Um, so I think there are a lot of different ways, but I think being able to introduce that aspect of um, being able to show young people that there is a good, healthy career path. Um, there's the ability for you to make money if you do it the right way. Um, if you're able to attract a certain customer segment, position your products a certain way um, and realize how you can value add to the entire ecosystem and value add to the industry as a whole. Right? I think that's how uh, moving forward, I really, really hope we're able to communicate that story um, and draw people towards us who are interested in the same thing. Thanks for that. Well, uh, you touched on sustainability all throughout, all throughout that and the answer. That's that's a huge buzzword. It's even more than that. It's, it's becoming really more of a movement. Yeah. So I, I, in that in that spirit, I was going to talk to you a little bit more about something we, we briefly touched on the, the this food system summit that's ongoing this year. And as you know, and for our listeners who, who tune in uh, know as well, we talk about it pretty regularly. This is really looking at the sustainable development goals, uh, the 17 goals and, and, and really where we're falling short and looking at some new creative ways to try to get there by 2030. So um, with that in mind, and against that backdrop as well, looking at what's happened in the wake of the pandemic and the disruption that's been caused for the last year, year and a half almost now, uh, disruption to the food value chain around the world. And now knowing with, with actual evidence, knowing how uh, fragile right the food systems really are around the world. So I wanted to ask you, if you had a seat at the table, you're able to, to reach into that process and, and really express your, your views on things. Are there any must-haves you think as far as making food systems yes more sustainable and maybe more resilient, right? And what we've seen that what's what's happening right now. Yeah, no, I think that's a difficult question because each agricultural landscape across borders and across regions might look so different, um, especially in a place like Singapore where everything's booming right right now because the conversations have come in, the government grants have come in, investors are coming in, the market's you know very excited about new farms. But at some point, you start asking the question of how sustainable are these food production sort of outfits going to be? Um, they can produce food. But there's also a question of accessibility, right? We're still at a point where a lot of urban agricultural gizmos are not going to bring you price parity, right? And I think that's that's the fundamental basis of resilience, right, for people having access to food. Um, it's not just being able to produce it, but how many people can afford it. Um, otherwise, how much of that is getting wasted? I've spoken to a few farmers in Singapore and, and they're like, you know, some of us really feel as if we're contributing to a food waste problem because the vegetables are too expensive. Um, and, and we know that's a problem. But it's a, it's a circular problem, right? It's that, okay, I've grown something that's good quality, but it's too expensive. No one's going to buy it. So I don't have money to invest in the tech to make it come down in price, right? So there's that, I think it's, it's going to be, it's going to be some activation energy to get to that point. And I wonder what that looks like, right? Be it um, a private partnership with institutions and governments to be able to say that that's something that we are collectively working on. Um, does that come in the form of subsidies for everyone to eat local? I don't know. Does that come in the form of mass consumer education? I don't know, right? Um, and how are we able to then create systems that make sure that the food that is being produced um, and value that's going in as input um, into food production is not wasted or leaking out anywhere else. I think that's a good beginning. Um, and it, it's, it's, 
easier said than done, right? It's easier said than done because even in a place like Singapore, uh, you you have people can afford it. People afford it. And then there's a whole bunch of stuff where other companies who are doing great work, right? Who look at um, ugly foods, who look at, you know, blemishes on products and being able to sell that at a lower price um, or redistributing that food to families in need. That's a great start. But I'm also wondering how sort of we can think about agri and food being a very, very different industry compared to any other industry that is, um, you know, always in the news for raising huge amounts of money, right? Um, In my personal journey, I think it's always realizing that, okay, my business probably doesn't fit in the mold of of a VC, right? VC money comes in, it needs to get out in seven years. Um, Maybe developing a business in this space doesn't mean that you exit in seven years um, and it took me a long time to realize that okay this is this might take some time this might take some time uh, but that growth really is in making sure that communities are getting to understand the work that you're doing uh, being able to engage people and say look here's how we value it here's how we partner up um, and making a difference to say that okay resilience doesn't just come from the government being able to throw out that much money um, in grants or private companies being able to pump in that much money at the start, but to sustain community. I think that's really where it comes from. Um, I, I don't have an easy answer for it. Uh, I, I do think that it takes every player along the supply chain to continue telling that story and being very, very honest about um, the difficulties, the challenges, and how we can continue trying to to make sense of different ways that value is being created. Jolene. Well, we've come to the last question. You've made it to the last question. And usually with this question, we try to lighten it up a bit because we talked about some, some challenges. Mm-hmm. We talked about COVID-19, disruption to food value chains. We talked about the aging community of farmers around the region, some tough tough challenges. And, but really, you, you put a happy spin on all of this. So it's it's not been so, so doom and gloom. But still, I'd like to ask you a little bit uh, here at the end. What do you see, if you look at the crystal ball for where you are today and if you look ahead, project ahead, maybe five or 10 years, something good, a good development within the region. Maybe it's here in Singapore. Maybe it's broader than that. Something you think is going to be realized is going to be a, a game changer and a, and, a, and a big step forward. Yeah, I think a big step forward is definitely going to be in the way how retailers and merchants sell food. Um, that's that's the big one for me, um, be it with alternative protein, be it with plant-based food, be it with fresh produce. Um, I think so much of consumer choice comes from, yeah, okay, I, I'm going to buy this, I'm going to buy this, it's interesting to me. Um, but there's there's a process of curation, um, which then reconnects the consumer to an experience that that is more emotional and more personal than that. Food is supposed to be emotional. Um, and I think with the rise of post-pandemic sort of e-commerce booms, um, supermarkets being more and more depersonalized. Um, I think there's a lot of value in the next 10 years to actually start having producers, retailers and merchants to play a part in telling that story, getting people to understand the full story behind their food, um, the cost of production, the real cost and human cost that goes behind production. And I think that will be a far more constructive way to move forward. Um, I think it's difficult to ask consumers to ask their merchants to be accountable, right? Of course, being in the business, I would, I have no qualms about walking up to a retailer and going, who, who, how many middle people um, handled this stuff before it's even here for me to buy at your store, right? But I, I don't think it comes from the ground up that easily with everybody. But if, if retailers and merchants are able to create value for themselves by telling that story better, being more transparent, uh, being able to show up and go like, hey, I actually have traceability, right? And this traceability helps you understand um, not just the cost that goes into growing your food, how it's being handled, how much waste, carbon emissions, all of these things, which are, which are difficult to do because no one's done it yet. 
right? If no one's done it yet, consumers don't demand it, um, then there's no value created, right? Like, for example, for my vegetables, no one asks me, hey, could you prove um, where it comes from, traceability, or even how fresh is it? What time was it harvested? And I can say, yeah, you know, I have tech ready to, to build in a blockchain system to show you exactly where it was. But I'm like, how much are you willing to pay for it? Right. Um, how much more are you willing to pay for that to make your bok choy just 50 cents more expensive? Um, are my farmers willing to put in that effort to sort of like look, scan a QR code and make sure that that's going to happen? Um, there is no monetary exchange in terms of creating that storytelling. And I really hope that in the next 10 years that the younger generation gets interested in that, um, not just the nuts and bolts of, of getting things from one place to another, uh, but being able to engage the consumer in more creative experiences. And I think that's what's going to set new age businesses apart from supermarkets, from Amazon, um, from the, the giants in the market who are just trading, trading food in ways that they, they like, um, but being able to create a more personal experience with food. A little bit, a little bit, you know, dreamy and fantastical, but I hope that that's what's going to happen. Well, I think it's a great vision and a great view. We've been speaking with Jolene Lum today from Urban Teller. Thanks, Jolene, for doing this. You're officially Thank off. You. Yeah, you're off the five good questions hot seat. We hope to talk to you again soon. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. And if you did, please rate, review, and subscribe. We look forward to bringing you another five good questions interview. 